1: The Slaughter
2: Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, you're fabulous.
3: Hi guys. Hello. Welcome to episode... Something. Of Slaughter. Um, I'm Lucy. I'm Emma. (laughs) Now that we're once a month, we might forget. Um, So I'm going to be telling you a story that you might already know um from a recent series on itv i think um called a confession and it's christopher halliwell have you seen it
2: i have not i'm gonna ruin it for you <laughs> is it the one with martin freeman yeah because tom's always like i'm not watching anything with his squash face little fucker in it <laughs> i don't know why he hates him does he like the offer yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know why he won't let me watch anything He's right. just a night he just he's grumpy
3: the guy he plays on a confession i think it's called a confession not the confession um he looks a lot like him and they've got they've got similar mannerisms he's a he's a good he's a good sort of um cast okay like he's a good choice
2: i like him i think he's a good actor yeah so
3: um on the 19th of March, 2011, 22-year-old Sharno Callahan left a local nightclub in Swindon where she lived. Um, and she was shown on CCTV walking away from the club, but she never got home. And it should have taken her about 15 minutes to walk home from the club, which is pretty convenient, I'd say.
2: Yeah, I would do that. I mean, it is really dangerous even a little bit though. I guess. I always used to... I- because i would only have so much money so i'd just ride the taxi until my money ran yeah. out and then be like okay i'll walk from here i used to do that but i would have plenty of money but
3: i was that drunk i'd go i'm gonna get a bargain i'm gonna save myself some money and get out 20 minutes before i got home and then have to yeah. walk <laughs> it's ridiculous i'm like i'm gonna save money i'm gonna walk in these heels stupid i so, say the following morning sean's boyfriend phoned police and reported her missing and he was insisting that it was not like her to come home and that she wasn't answering her phone. So if she'd stayed at her friend's or something, then she would have
2: left her phone on and, and would have got in touch with them. I mean, that's quite good. Yeah. I often think about that. How long would it take before someone got really worried about me? Yeah. Or I got really worried about them. Because there's been a few times where like ex-boyfriends have like gone out and I've not heard from them until like quite late the following day. But I wouldn't have thought to ring the police. I just thought they're wasted. But Maybe now I you should li- start ringing the police all the time. <laughs> now you live with Tom, then. Oh, now it's it'd not a problem. But back then, yeah. But they live together.
3: Oh, okay. So, then. Oh, yeah. Fine. Yeah. If they live together, yeah, I get it. it is she in bed? Like, where the fuck is she? Um, so the police interviewed Sean's boyfriend Kevin, and um, they began searching for Sean. Um, They used like the the new technology that they do to track um, Sean's phone and they identified that the last signal that her phone had shown was 12 miles away in a forest 32 minutes after she'd left the nightclub. So clearly she'd got there somehow.
2: I imagine been driven there. Man would be like, records show that she texted five of her (laughs) (laughs) ex-boyfriends moments before.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So... Teams of dogs were taken to the woods to look for Sean, and hundreds of people also flocked there in order to support the hunt for her. And then um, Steve Fulcher was the detective superintendent, and he Um, was placed on the case, really well-regarded. He'd been involved in a lot of other high-profile cases and he was um, a well-regarded detective. And he appealed publicly for witnesses of a green Toyota Avensis estate which had taxi signs on the side that had been caught on CCTV at the time she'd left the club. Um, An anonymous person also offered £20,000 reward for information and then a few days later they raised this to £40,000.
2: You do got to watch those illegal taxis. There are like loads of like some of them are Uber and some of them are taxis. When they show up, they'll have their cars won't be registered. They'll have like a random city license plate. If you ever noticed that when you get an Uber, look, because I had one and I came home and it had and it was like registered to the city of Wolverhampton. So
3: was it still the one that Uber sent you?
2: It was still the one that Uber sent me, but they're not actually registered to drive in the city. Right. I don't know. It's just a little bit dodgy. Okay. Check,
3: check your cars. Check. Um, so, I don't know what I'd be checking for.
2: I don't know. <laughs> because, well, this is the thing. Like, This is what Tom says to me. He was like, oh, th- that's dodgy. If he's not, like, why are all the cars not registered here? He's like, you shouldn't be getting in these. And I was like, yeah, but I need to get home.
3: Yeah.
2: But I, o- I ordered an Uber. I car turned up. And I'm in it.
3: And now I'm in it.
2: Maybe I should look into it more before broadcasting it out. <laughs> yeah. Someone else tell me. Um, yeah, so let us know if you have any. I'm not saying <laughs> like they're rapists, it's more like that they just Should don't know their in- way around the city.
3: <laughs> I've heard a lot of them um, there's a certain taxi company near us that a lot of the drivers aren't insured. Oh. So yeah, I think that's the thing. This is our new podcast. It's called uh Taxi Wars. <laughs> <laughs> taxi Nightmares. Right, so searches at the woods find no trace of Sean. And many police begin to suggest that she's likely to no longer be alive at this point. But Steve Fulcher remains, uh, he's going to work on the the premise that Sean might be alive somewhere and being held somewhere. So he's going to do everything he can to recover her alive in the assumption that she... I mean, she might be. So meticulous work from the police leads to a number plate of a taxi spotted on CCTV. So essentially what they're doing is checking out different CCTV all around the area. And obviously it takes ages and it it takes a lot of sort of sitting and just watching and recording. But eventually they find the, the same type of car and they've got it at an angle where they can actually see the number plate, which they couldn't in the original CCTV footage. So now they've got this plate um and it's linked to um a local taxi driver so it's a legitimate taxi and he's called christopher halliwell
2: <laughs> that was very pointed to me so it was a legitimate <laughs> taxi
3: like insured short and <laughs> everything um so steve doesn't want to arrest halliwell to bring him in to question him because he thinks this is the most likely person to have sean and um that if he does and she's alive somewhere that as soon as he comes in for questioning, he's going to get a lawyer and he's going to answer no comment. And therefore, wherever she is, she's going to starve
2: to death. She's going to (gasps) die. This is like that episode of Sherlock, the very first one, where, A Study in Pink, where it was the taxi driver and he was like, no one suspects the taxi driver. Yeah, well, that's exactly what happened. And (laughs) there you go. (laughs) And (laughs) now it's time for my story.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's been a few horrible taxi driver I think, high-profile cases. I guess you recently. just have
2: really easy access to people, don't you? You get them on their own. Yeah. And...
3: But never an estate agent. <laughs> don't we talk about that the other week?
2: Oh, yeah, me? no, because mine last week abducted an estate agent because he was oh, on yeah. their own in the house. But, yeah, n- more, more estate agents aren't rapists. Not that they should be. No. I guess you know where they work at that point. Yeah. Like a tax driver. Well, if you're, unless you're a mobile estate agent, I guess that's the perfect... Vehicle. <laughs> God, I'm not saying you. Know. <laughs> okay, I,
3: I, we're trying to like. What's the best job to be a murderer? What I'm saying is, I
2: would not go with a mobile estate agent.
3: Steve decides that. Um, w- what they're going to do is they're going to send round a couple of officers under the premise that they know that a taxi driver was involved but they haven't got the plate and that they're just taking DNA from all the taxi drivers in in the area. So they turn up at his door and they say, oh, did your taxi company tell us that we're coming round? We're getting DNA from all the taxi drivers. Puts him in a position where he has to give them the DNA otherwise he looks incredibly suspicious. Um, And then they start to question him about where he was just saying that it's routine and he lies about what time he finished his shift on the 19th of March so already they think this must be our guy because he's already lying um so Halliwell's car also had posters in it that he'd been handing out and in the back of his car that were part of the find Sean" campaign where the it said about the reward and things which was a little bit weird so police obviously were concerned about allowing Halliwell to drive around a free man, considering that they now think he is a murderer or has kidnapped someone. So they follow him everywhere he goes. But one evening, I think it's the next day after they've kind of identified him as um, a problem or being associated, um, they follow him and he drives into the countryside. But in order to make it not too obvious that they're following him, they have to hang back quite a lot a lot. Because it's so remote. They're literally just tailing him. It's so Because you pay
2: really close attention. When you're driving down country roads, I'm always like, who's behind me? Just overtake me. Leave me
3: alone. Exactly. So they had to hang back and then he takes a corner somewhere and they lose him. Um, And that was a real opportunity because they think he might have been going to Sean." So they later discover in that area that he's burnt some seat covers on the side of the road that had been in his car. So the next morning, police are forced to arrest Halliwell because when they're following him, um, he goes out to the shops in the morning. And then when he comes out of the shop, an officer goes in and asks, what did that man buy? And they say he bought tablets. And there was enough for him to overdose um, in that amount. I think maybe, is it two packets you're allowed to buy or three packets? So he bought as many tablets as he could. um, And it looked like he was likely to overdose and they thought well if he overdoses then we're not going to find sean anyway and he's never going to face justice yeah so they're put in a position where they arrest him and that's five days after sean's disappearance so this is all pretty quick work that within Mm. five days they've got the suspect they've trailed him they've arrested him really good police work i would say so at this point protocol should have been right we're arresting you we're going to caution you and then they take him straight to a police station and there they question him However, this is the point where Steve Fulcher, the detective, decides that if he takes him back to the police station, he, Halliwell's going to demand a lawyer and then he's going to say no comment and Sean's definitely going to die. Yeah. So instead of taking him to the police station, he drives with Halliwell and like his colleagues as well to a remote place. It's called barbary castle which is near swindon um and he asks a colleague to write down everything that is said but he states that he uses sort of this threat to life protocol so that he's the rights of the person being arrested can be overtaken by the rights of the victims like life
2: okay so it wasn't technically illegal because he was trying to preserve the life of Sean if she was alive exactly. still yeah so he was just like, we're on the way. So he just took him for a really long drive being like, we're on our way to the police station <laughs> Well, now. no, he takes
3: him to Barbary Castle and then he and then they get out and he says, right, tell me what really happened to Sean." Oh. So he's basically sort of questioning him, but without a lawyer. Okay. Um, and they haven't sort of offered him a lawyer. He's not there, arrested. They haven't taken his fingerprints and stuff like that. So at this point, Halliwell says, okay, I'm going to take you to her. And he gets in the car with the police and he directs them to... To it goes they go over the border into Oxfordshire and to this sort of road by a field. He admits that he's killed Sean and he tells the police
2: her body is here. So they start searching. I see, I haven't seen it, but I feel like I was just reading about another person today who, long before this in like Victorian times, who confessed to a murder, Uh, um and was convicted but then right at the last second retracted his not convicted but he was he went to trial but then he retracted the confession so all of their case all the all the case was built on the confession Mm -hmm. but then he retracted it so they didn't have anything to work with anymore and he actually got away with it back then so i'm just predict is it something like that that he's thinking yeah i'll confess under these circumstances but then pretend he doesn't later i mean the problem is
3: i don't think halliwell knew i think he at the moment he wanted to confess and he was gonna he thought i'm gonna tell them everything i'm gonna do in my time but you know later when you've got a lawyer saying to you actually he broke the rules and if we do this it gives yeah. you a loophole so the problem is if you break the protocol then you provide that opportunity that the criminal doesn't know about yeah but a lawyer does yeah so at this point after they've they're looking for his body protocol again should have been you re-caution Halliwell you take him to the police station there you question him the threat to life's over he said that he's killed Sean. unfortunately she's dead but instead of doing that and I'm not sure why Halliwell sits on a bench um with Steve Fulcher and Halliwell turns to Steve Fulcher and he says do you want another one Oh. So, Steve's like, ah, oh, I should really caution him and take him to the police. Station. So it's not like Steve's
2: purposely being like wayward with the protocol. Like he keeps being given these little reasons yeah. to push it on,
3: and that's kind of the way in the the drama that's based on the things that were written down by the police as well. The way that they present it as well is that he it puts Steve in a position where he goes, "Do I follow the protocol?" and and then I get rid of this opportunity because as soon as he gets back, he's not going to tell us anything. Or do I run with this and then see where this is going?
2: But risk no
3: conviction. Yeah, exactly. So Halliwell, Steve and a colleague get in a car. The threat to life's over. So we know that this isn't the right thing to do legally. Um, but Steve kind of said, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. to If he's a double murderer and there's another dead person out there we need to know so they drive to a field Halliwell walks into the field there's like a dip in the stone wall that Halliwell recognizes climbs in he count, he walks he counts 10 paces and he said that he buried a girl that he murdered he didn't even know her name but she's buried down there so Steve should have again at this point cautioned Halliwell again he doesn't and then Halliwell's taken back to the station in Swindon and here he gets a lawyer and then he begins to respond to all questions with the phrase, no comment. Right. Which he, Halliwell, um, Steve Fulcher knew that he would be advised to do by that lawyer because until they establish what evidence they've got, and they don't want him to give anything away so during this time police find sean's body in the location that hollywell identified it would be and they start digging as well for this second body it's not exactly where he said it was going to be but they also find human remains close to the spot that hollywell had said and what are the chances like exactly so obviously he's arrested and then they they release his name now so neighbor's like, I was surprised about his arrest. They do that whole, oh, he seemed a really nice guy type of thing. But also, it's revealed he had a girlfriend. He also had an ex-wife. He had three children with his ex-wife. Oh, so, he seemed like sort of a good family
2: man. Um, like, functioning quite well in hard society. Working,
3: always had a job. But... Then also there were these secrets that started coming out from his family, particularly when he went to trial later on. So he was regularly visiting sex workers for a number of years. Um, And they said that he was into kind of rough and weird sex and had issues with women. I don't think, I think he was the kind of guy that they'd recognize him. They knew him as a regular, but they didn't really enjoy having sex with him because he also had told some people his idol was Myra Hindley as well i don't know why specifically myra and not ian but seeing as he's male but did she drive the car but she was sort of like the one who was kind of it's it felt like when we did that one it manipulated by ian so yeah. i don't know if you want someone to take charge and he just wants to be the tag along anyway so hours after killing shani also had gone home and had sex with his girlfriend so there's obviously some sort of Strangeless there um, Halliwell's sister Has also spoken out She said to him As a child He enjoyed torturing insects And he was quite Cold and detached He'd like catch insects And pull their legs off But I feel yeah. like that's I feel like that's Fairly common anyway With young It's not people. I don't know though Really We used to do Ladybird Like doctors And we were, thought We were saving Ladybirds But we were probably Killing them
2: What were you doing to them? Like getting badge pins And like doing operations Oh
3: <gasps> No, but I—I thought well, so you
2: meant like just I don't know, putting them in water or something that you might think was helping. But no, you were literally poking them with well, pins. Well, I
3: didn't do any of the operations. I was like the pre, pre
2: medical team. You were anesthetizing them with what, like bleach? I think I've think repressed a lot of <gasps> that, but That's I think we, terrifying. hundred
3: percent. I hundred percent thought we were helping ladybirds in the school playground.
2: Because to be honest, at school, somewhere. like the teachers will be like oh my god spiders or whatever and the kids are always like i'll save it i'll look after it i'll keep it in a box i'll yeah. spend 30 minutes walking it to a window to let it free the natural reaction isn't to squish and kill i wasn't yeah i definitely or wasn't operate. killing it yeah no yeah it's weird isn't it i think you were being abused i was the myra
3: we definitely wasn't the ian yeah. I was just helping. Oh my god! Use that in court. <laughs> so the the second body took time to identify, but was finally identified as a young woman called Becky Godden, and she had been obviously killed quite a long time ago. So
2: Becky's, Sorry, I'm just laughing at. I was the Myra. <laughs> oh, I was the Myra. <laughs> no, that's like the darkest thing to say. I'm. Myra! (laughs) No, I am the Myra. You don't want to be either of them. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. (laughs) I didn't mean to hurt anything. Oh my god. I know, but just saying that I was innocent, (laughs) not I'm the Myra. (laughs) Good job we do this (laughs) anonymously.
3: I'm a vegan now. (laughs) Trying to repay it. So Uh, Becky's mother Karen had been searching for her missing daughter for years and um, Becky had been a drug addict and so it had been difficult for Karen because um, she didn't know what had happened to her she didn't know it wasn't as easy as this is a predictable person who's just gone missing she said to her mother she left home and she said I can't keep doing this to you I'm not gonna come back till I'm clean and that had been years before. Oh, so, so she wasn't like she didn't know when it would be necessarily. Exactly. So she didn't report her missing for quite a while because she thought, oh, she's out there, living this um, drug addict life, and I don't want it to be. And I want to help her, but I've got to. I guess I can't just chase her. Yeah. Do you know, she's a young person. She was over eighteen. Yeah. So Halliwell was facing trial for two murders originally. Obviously, he's he's um, taken them to two bodies. But a judge ruled that his confession to Becky's murder could not be used in court, like you said. So he was only accused of Sean's murder, which he pleaded guilty to. So he never, he didn't go to trial at that point because, obviously, if you plead guilty, you just get sentenced. So Becky's father, at this point, blamed Steve Forcher's breach of the protocol and made a complaint against him, despite the fact that Steve would never have recovered Becky's body if he'd followed the rules. This led to Steve being charged with gross misconduct, and he lost his job and his career.
2: Oh, I thought he'd have been suspended for a little oh. bit. They really went all out on him. I think the other thing that he'd done, though... They're annoyed because they they had lost that conviction. I think
3: partly that... Also, this was a high-profile case. And the other thing that he'd done is he, he tried to make the police look bad and he tried to direct the police in some way because they started taking, after Becky's body was found, they went, right, end of, that's it, started taking his team off the case, even though Steve was saying, there's no way this guy has killed one woman, I think it was 2002... And one woman in 2011. Oh, and there wasn't more in not between. not killed anyone else. But the police said, no, we don't want another serial killer on our hands. Like, we don't want to worry about this. We've got him for one murder. Forget it. So what Steve did was he went to two journalists, unauthorized. And oh, he... so
2: this is the real no. reason then, isn't it? Go on, carry on. So
3: you leaked the details of the murders, basically, because he wanted to put the police in a position where they would have to carry on investigating his other yes. crimes. Because if the... If the press no then they're going to release it it's going to put pressure on the police so i mean that's probably more why isn't it so he they just i think they just thought i mean he's a man of strong principles
2: clearly isn't he like he's done a lot of stuff because he believed it was right by his morals
3: but it's annoying that it's like this person makes a complaint and therefore they're like okay we'll charge him with gross misconduct whereas before that they obviously didn't think he'd done anything like what either he's done something wrong or he hasn't why does it take one complaint to make a difference in terms of how you deal with that i don't understand that
2: Uh, oh come on yes you do like if your kids i suppose maybe yours aren't like tattletaling as much but like if if like somebody swore at someone else and and nobody complains about it, i'm like "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) whereas if you get a parent like uh, no like even just the kids like if they're not if they're not coming to me i'm just like okay sometimes i'll intervene i'm not saying that all the time and but um, kind of. there's some things that is not a big deal as others i made all the kids they all made posters the last week saying no drums before half terms because <laughs> i was fed up of the bullshit i was like chant it before you go out to break what are we gonna have no drum before half terms more.
3: So Karen Edwards, Becky's mother, hugely defended Steve's actions. So even though he broke pro- protocol, she very much expressed real gratitude because she's her her point of view was, if the, if Halliwell had said there's another body and Steve had said okay, well, we're going to caution you and take you back to the station. She would never have known about Becky's death. She would never have been able to fight for Becky to get justice. She would have lived the rest of her life with no answers. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they would have found that body in a field, just Mm. happened to find it. So she campaigned for a law change. She did not give up. She's grieving. She's an amazing woman. She's played fantastically in the series as well, but... She really fought for the police to have greater freedom questioning criminals and she specifically fought for Steve Fulcher. Every time she did a press conference, um, she went to Downing Street and also asked for a rule change as well. She mentioned Steve and she said, his career has been ruined and it's completely wrong. So she championed him the whole time. Um, So after a year that she's been fighting originally, um, there's a huge break in the case. Now, obviously the case has been sort of on the back burner um, in terms of like we know he's connected to two deaths but then um, what um, Halliwell does and I'm not sure I couldn't find online but the the series suggests that Halliwell told someone about this remote place he used to go fishing and they go and look there whereas online it just said that they found this stuff in a pond but they find loads of Halliwell's victims discarded belongings specifically Sean's boots and a load of other women's items nearby so then they think right well this is obvious that Halliwell is definitely connected in other women's deaths and then they start looking into it in more detail and they search Halliwell's home they get a warrant and in the shed they find a spade and it has soil from the same field that Becky had been found in And so that's hard evidence that links him to the death of Becky. Without the confession. Without the confession. So based on this, a judge rules that Halliwell could go to court for Becky's murder because it's not just the confession evidence anymore. But they can use that confession. They can get Steve in to testify at that court case, which is a real kick in the teeth for him. Yeah, He's been working abroad. Like, oh, it's all fine now, but you just still can't have your job back. Exactly, yeah. So he's been working abor- abroad in like, I, I, he works in Africa at the moment. I'm not sure where he was at that time. And then it's like, oh, can you come back and testify even though we still think you did the wrong thing? It's j- Ridiculous. So when they um, decide to take Halliwell to court, Halliwell does that really arrogant Weird serial killer thing that he decides to represent himself, Mm -hmm. which is always batshit crazy.
2: You got a lot of time in prison. He probably thinks he can (laughs) devote hours and hours to working on the case more than a trained lawyer. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Like, I know more than a lawyer does about the. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. I think Ted Bundy did an all right job of it, but this (laughs) guy didn't. I mean, Jesus Christ. So at this trial, Steve is being questioned then by Halliwell. No! <laughs> yeah. So oh my God. They call, they call him as a witness and then Halliwell obviously gets to question him. Um, and Halliwell... A
2: tomfoolery. Oh,
3: Halliwell's an absolute prick to him. So
2: he, he basically
3: says, I knew...
2: Remember when you manipulated me into getting a confession?
3: He basically says, I knew that that would mean that the confession would be thrown out and that's why I showed you where the body was. And then he says that the body he knew about the body because he saw someone else pull up and dump a body there um and then he finishes by shouting it's been a pleasure ruining your career oh my god absolute brick so the jury deliberated on um the trial for becky's murder for only two hours before they declare halliwell guilty obviously karen's family finally have justice for becky she's been fighting for this she's been wondering about her daughter for years um But Steve is still unable to work in the UK. He works as a security consultant in Africa. um, So he's unable to get a job here. They've not overturned that. Um, But he did write memoirs and they they based some of um, a confession on the things that he's written as well. Yeah. So he continues to believe that Halliwell is responsible for numerous other murders, and has been and he's actually been connected with a couple of other victims. So one of these is Claudia Lawrence, and she was last seen in March two thousand and nine, and she left work where she worked as a chef at one of York University's colleges. Do you know, like they feed the students mm. in the day. Um, she didn't turn up for work the next day, so colleagues reported her missing. That's probably, I guess, if you live alone, that's probably like the. The main people would spot you were missing, isn't it? Your colleagues. Yeah. Are usually true. pretty good. Um so police looked into her disappearance, but they found that she had slept with at least one married man. She'd had quite a few affairs, and she just had sex with a lot of men. So they thought oh it must be an ex-lover that was responsible for her disappearance and they even went round to a bar that she'd been in and they asked every single regular if they'd actually had sex with her oh my god how humiliating so um when karen edwards were becky's mom was looking into halliwell's past when she knew He is responsible for my daughter's murder. I'm going to look. I'm going to find everything I can about him. She uncovered a witness who claims to have seen Claudia and Halliwell talking through a taxi window before she disappeared. Um, She apparently, the witness said, she'd been asking for change so she could call her dad, bless her, from a phone box. So Halliwell. It's so
2: crazy that she remembered that. Can you imagine if you might have witnessed that happen? How would you remember it? Because it had been literally years ago, hadn't it? I think
3: it probably was another sex worker and they recognised him as a regular. Or if,
2: yeah, you must have either recognised him or recognised her beforehand.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was someone who knew them anyway. So knew that they knew each other and I guess then it's easier to remember, particularly if she'd gone missing, easier to remember a conversation because it would stick in your mind. True. So Halliwell... um, did used to drive up to York to see his father quite a lot and he'd also worked in a building site there for a while and Claudia had also gone missing on the same date that Sean died but two years earlier so um that that often is a thing for serial killers, isn't well, it he's like already keeping yeah he's
2: keeping souvenirs isn't he so he obviously likes the wants something special to commemorate it yeah. so that he would keep the same date would be consistent with that isn't it exactly he's also been connected to the murder of julie finlay a 23
3: year old and she was strangled to death in liverpool and her body was dumped by the side of a road she was killed 25 years ago um and at the time halliwell drove a white van and a white van had been spotted at the scene of the crime I know that's not really very much but he also lived only four miles from where a body was found okay there we go (laughs) yeah and a witness claims Julie had told her she was going to see a taxi driver that night Mm. So someone that she met was a taxi driver so Halliwell also has said um, reportedly that the police want to interview him about eight murders even though no one's ever said that to him so he's come up with that number yeah so people think that he's killed eight women and that's why he's specifically saying eight but i yeah I, there seems to be a lot of evidence and um a lot of people believe that he is a serial killer Ooh. but i definitely i recommend checking out um the series
2: i I'm don't think that, i don't did. think that's spoilt it i no. think it's made me want to watch it more yeah it's really good. about it it's really well done lovely
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. For full, important safety information, visit juvederm.com.
2: Right. So, um... You'll we'll probably have this episode around Halloweeny time, so I thought I'd do one with a little bit of a ghost element to Ooh, it. Good idea. Um, so London, in particular, has ghost stories absolutely abounding, and some people attribute this just to the fact that there's such a high population, uh, coupled with ha- so obviously there's lots of high death rates there. so The spirits are getting disturbed in that way there's a lot of ghosts and then other people say that when there's a lot of progress and a lot of building work going on there it's disturbing places where long dead people once lay. So one such example of this that has led to a lot of um, ghost sightings is the building of London's underground tube system. So this is thought to have disturbed the burial ground of numerous sites including some monasteries in its production um around the 1950s there were several reports of the sighting of a tall finely dressed gentleman around Covent Garden tube station um, and then so but he would always disappear if anyone tried to talk to him so the image of the man that they saw they did like a little drawing of what they what people were seeing and they printed it in the psychic news And then it was thought that this person was, in fact, a well-known Shakespearean actor, William Terrace.
3: Of course, it's (laughs) a (laughs) celebrity. So he died
2: in 1897. And it was thought that he'd stayed in the area of Covent Garden Station because it had been the site of his favorite bakery.
3: (laughs) I mean, yeah. That's where I stay. Well, they're
2: saying he went there every day, but I mean, it's a little bit of a reach. He wasn't like a glutton or anything, but like, no, he loved this bakery. <laughs> um, and that's where the site of the station is now, which was built a decade after he died. There were also reports of Terrace's ghost that came from the Adelphi Theatre in London, as it was here that William Terrace worked and would eventually die. So, William Terrace was born in 1847 in London. He was privately educated and upon leaving school as a teenager, he decided to join the Merchant Navy, mainly because he liked the look of the uniform. So he always had a little taste for the glamour and fabulousness. Of course. Um, He only lasted a few weeks before realising that a sailor's life was not for him. Um, He did continue to sail. He went to America and he tried other occupations such as silver mining. He then went the other way around the globe to Australia and attempted sheep farming and eventually spent some time in the Falkland Islands. Around this time of him traveling around in 1868, uh, Terrace was 21 and he married a girl called Isabel Lewis and they had a daughter. So the family, now that they had a young child, decided to begin a life back in London, where Terrace decided that the only true profession for him was going to be acting. So 1871, Terrace was cast as Robin Hood and appeared in a theatre on Drury Lane. He was praised for his speaking voice, <laughs> um, mainly because he didn't carry the affectations of classically trained actors, and he was able to be admired and also relatable to his audiences. So, in that sort of period, everyone was really. Was basically, a bag of chips. A <laughs> little bit. I think everybody else was, when they were acting, felt that they had to be like, and so, my dad, like really yeah. elongating everything, very weird. And they were like, he's actually a real man. It just we like, like him. He was talking. Yeah, so he was quite successful and he built a good reputation as part of Henry Irving's company at the Lyceum Theatre. And Henry Irving would go on to be the first actor to ever be knighted. So he was in quite a well-known group of um, performers. In his 30s, he continued to be praised for his performances. And while he was performing in the play Beckett, as Henry II, he gave a performance by royal command in front of Queen Victoria herself wow. in 1893. Um, December 1895, Terrace starred alongside a girl called Jessie Millwood in a play called The Harbour Lights. Um, he was the handsome, heroic sailor, and she was his... female... They didn't have much to do. (laughs) Uh, The pair were so well received by critics that they went on to perform together in many other productions that toured the UK and America. So... William and Jesse's onstage chemistry was undeniable, and it was helped along by the fact that they were banging behind the <laughs> nice. scenes. Um, so
3: he's married. He's married to Isabel, isn't he? He's yeah. married.
2: They have. He eventually has three children with her: two sons and a daughter. But now he sort of has another flat in London where he carries on with right. Jesse Millwood, who he stars with. A bit like Fred and Ginger. They were together a lot. They were the pair. Mm. Um, But neither Terrace nor his wife believed in divorce. They were both Catholic. So she kept the family home running in Bedford Park.
3: Oh, so they they are... She knows and they're sort of separated. Yeah, pretty
2: much. They kept up appearances. They didn't tell anyone. He kept his career, his reputation intact. And he was pretty much having his cake and eating it in all respects. Yeah. In September 1894... So many years, so nearly nine years together, Terrace and Millwood began to have a successful run of shows at the Adelphi Theatre. Their formula was tried and tested. And though he was now in his late 40s and Millwood was much younger, Terrace was always a swashbuckling hero and Millwood was always the swooning woman and it worked. The plays would often have like patriotic themes where he would be a soldier or a sailor fighting for his country and he was sort of seen as this male ideal. His confidence and charisma off stage earned him the name of Breezy Bill. Everyone loved him and life for him had been a breeze at this point. However, not all actors at this time had the ability to breeze through life the way that Terrace did so richard archer prince is another actor at this time he'd been born in scotland in 1858 and he was the son of a ploughman he was called quote soft in the head by his family he's dumb yes which his mother thought to be the result of a time when she left him in a field in the sun all day long when he was a baby i mean
3: that's pretty stupid but he's probably just dumb
2: yeah, I don't know. Sun damage melted his brain or something. <laughs> Why did she leave him in a field? I don't I think she put him down and forgot about him <laughs> while she was working. Um, when he was 17, Prince's family took a visit to London where Richard Prince was awestruck by the glamour of the West End theatres and it was a far cry from the farm in Dundee. So though his visit was short, his path was now clear and Prince set his sights on the London stage. So, in appearance, Prince was short. He had dark hair. He had a slight squint. Um, he always wore a little short, twizzly moustache. Fabulous. Um, he would have to modify his accent for London audiences because obviously he had a Scottish accent. Um, so yeah, it kind no of, subtitles are there. Then? Yeah, so it kind of ended up where he was using that over-dramatic actor's voice that. Sort of terrace was famous for not using. Um, so his overall look, though, of this short, dark, little squinty man, meant that he was never really picked as a romantic lead. Yeah. And Prince He's was like the evil Iago type. Exactly. Yeah. He was always typecast as like the villain's henchman, like yeah. not even good enough to be the main villain. Oh, he was like a heavy, like when the like, <laughs> hey, what's up, boss? Gonna...? Well, they're not Chicago. I was thinking of Bugsy <laughs> Malone, like all his little <laughs> mob guys uh yeah so that was it he was always the heavy in 1887 he was making a living um on the london in the london theatres um but usually as an extra in plays of the adelphi theatre and he was now uh, at this point part of the harbour lights production which cemented the reputation of Terrace and millwood so they were all together in the same sort of troupe However, Prince's contribution to this production would come to an end when it was said that he made an offensive remark about William Terrace, who then demanded that Prince be fired. So perhaps it was out of like guilt or pity though, it was then said that Terrace arranged for Prince to receive money while he was unemployed out of a charity called the Actors Benevolent Fund. And despite what had occurred in the past, he would then keep recommending prints for any walk-on parts that they had in productions. So I think he definitely felt guilty that he'd got him fired. And then from then on was always trying to sort of give him help where he could. Yeah. If Prince was grateful for these small opportunities, he definitely didn't show it. So while he was part of the touring productions, he got a reputation for being difficult and unable to remember even the simplest of lines. Um, A man called Ralph Croydon was a theatre manager in Newcastle in 1897, and he eventually sacked Prince for his lack of professionalism and skill. Uh, Prince was then reported as telling Croydon that he was now his second enemy. The first one was William Terrace. Croydon called Prince mad, to which he responded, I should do it in Scottish. Yes, and the world shall ring with my madness. That's good. I've been watching Shrek. (laughs) Um, Prince soon earned himself the nickname Mad Archer. For his reputation of having these ferocious outbursts. But then he would like the next day follow it up with like a grovelling apology. He would also have channel his outbursts sometimes into letter writing. He would spend send letters off to all sorts of people, just ranting and raving. He once wrote a letter to a different theatre manager, which didn't quite make sense, but it accused him Prince accused the manager of sacking him and then trying to blackmail him, which didn't seem to work. So in which he said, you cur, I am not a woman, you hound. How dare you blackmail a Highlander? (laughs) I don't know why he felt that you could blackmail a woman, like that women get blackmailed. I don't know. But he was definitely had chip on his shoulder with everybody. So he wrote these horrendous letters to employers he would write to politicians if something was happening in the news he'd go after them he would write letters to royalty he was just like going off at people the common theme with all of this was that others were preventing him from advancing in his career as he saw it so when he wasn't working on the stage and he was on a break prince would go back up to scotland and work at an ironworks in dundee um, he didn't really fit in there either. It's a
3: problem with acting, isn't it? That like you've got to do some shit job that you can just leave whenever, when you're, yeah. unless you're doing really well.
2: Yeah, because they're definitely off seasons, and if one once a pro- production is finished and you've toured it, you've got to then wait until you're hired for the, another place. Yeah. So there's a lot of off periods. Um, but he didn't fit in with like blue collar workers either, and he was teased. They all called him soft. Um, And he was, like, strangely jealous of everyone for, like, anything. He just felt that he was owed more and other people got it easy. Um, He'd even been so miserable during his life that at one time he attempted to take his own life by jumping in the Regent's Canal in 1895. So, back in 1897, where we're at, Terrace and Millwood are the stars, and it was November... Prince was sacked by the manager in Newcastle, and now he was seething with anger at both of his enemies. Um, Prince was now in complete poverty. He'd pawned every last possession. He literally had the clothes on his back, and he survived off bread and milk that he was able to purchase using money from the actor's benevolent fund that William Terrace had arranged for him. On the 13th of December prince like with nothing much to do he tried to blag a free ticket to a show at the victoria theater by showing his card which stated that the adelphi theater was where he worked and the person of the box office was like oh are you working there now and he was like "Mm, well i used to work there that should mean something um and he was refused entry shit so prince went off and he had to be escorted from the premises in a fit of rage so he vowed he he was going to go to the adelphi and explain how he was being mistreated to the owner and when he arrived there prince instead decided to ask about the times that william terrace usually arrived and left the building so the next night richard prince visited terrace in his dressing room at the adelphi and had a heated argument with him He left after the shouting brought Jesse Millward to see what the commotion was. And Terrace was annoyed, but he wasn't frightened by the event. And he said to Jesse, quote, this man is becoming a nuisance. I I just assumed that he was just begging for more money, I think. Because he blamed him for his lack of career or begging him for a job, quite possibly. The argument had shaken Jessie, however, and that night she suffered a nightmare in which she held Terrace while he died. So the following night on the 15th of December, while they were preparing for the evening's performance of a play called Secret Service, Jessie went to Terrace and told him about her dream and he like reassured her. He gave her his pocket watch that had her picture in and just went meant about how she meant to him. He wouldn't do it to her. The next day again, Thursday the 16th of December, a letter arrived for Richard Prince, which would make up his mind about his course of action. So it confirmed to him that the Actors Benevolent Fund would no longer be sending him any support payments. Shit, that's his bread and milk gone. Exactly, milky bread. Which is basically, I don't know, just mush.
3: Yeah,
2: I don't, I don't. He maybe didn't eat them together. I don't know. I assumed that he'd mix <laughs> up the bread and milk together. Um, so at this point, he had absolutely nothing left to lose. And Prince set off walking towards the West End. So here, he had a chance meeting with his stepsister, which could have saved a life. But when he asked her for money, she said that she'd rather see him dead than give him anything. Oh, fucking hell. So Prince continued on, now truly without a hope. Um, He eventually arrived at the Adelphi Theatre and he waited outside the stage door. His murderous intent was now brewing with each passing minute. Across town, William Terrace had dined with a friend at Jesse Millwood's flat and then he got a handsome cab to the Adelphi. His friend Harry Greaves went with him and sort of stood at the door as Terrace unlocked the stage door. As the lock clicked, a figure lunged from the shadows and plunged a kitchen knife into Terrace's back. He stabbed him a second time in the side and as Terrace turned to face his attacker, he took a final blow to the chest. So Greaves, the friend, ran after the attacker as Jessie and her maid Lottie ran to see William slumped and bleeding in the doorway. Lottie ran outside after Greaves while Jessie held William in her arms and yelled for help. So although police and doctors arrived at the scene, William Terrace died in the hallway held by his lover. As the dream said, I know. So Greaves and Lottie, they caught up with Richard Prince, who allowed himself to be calmly handed over to the police. He still had the knife in his pocket, and he instantly confessed, saying, quote, I get, I get out of my swamp! I did it for revenge. He kept me out of employment for ten years, and I had to either die in the street or kill him.
3: So I mean, he's just sort of delusional, isn't he? In terms of like, it's anyone's fault but mine, and who can I pin it on? Pretty much successful.
2: Yeah, he's definitely getting ups- become obsessed with terrorists and think that he owes him uh, a living, basically. Um, this time, however, the show did not go on. A stage manager appeared before the audience to say that Mr. Terrace had been in a terrible accident and that they were to leave calmly and their money would be refunded.
3: I wonder at what point, because at first you'd be like, yeah, this is part of the play, isn't it?
2: Mm. And you'd just be like, oh, this is an interesting story. An immersive experience. you're <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's actually good. Well, everybody freaked out. So the news quickly spread. People left the theatre and went round to see the scene of the crime. The evening papers ran it that night. Um, And soon the whole of London knew that the leading man was stabbed to death at the stage door. So Prince was taken to Bow Street Station where he was charged with murder. The next day they went to the hearing and it was absolutely packed with people who were booing, jeering um, at the sight of Prince. But he had always been typecast as the villain. And it's like Prince saw himself in the role of a lifetime. And he was like smiling. He was twizzling his moustache. He was just loving being there and just sort of egging everyone on. Oh, that's foul. Um, Out of respect for William Terrace, the Adelphi Theatre shut for a week before reopening with two new people in the lead romantic roles. And then it finished a week later the Secret Service. The stage door was closed often packed with people some people were mourning and like going to leave things there some people were just sensationalists who wanted to just see the sight of a grisly murder um and they just needed to the theater wasn't really thrilled about it the trial eventually took place on the 13th of january 1898 and lasted only one day prince did plead guilty at the start um, and asked if he could change his lawyers but then when he was refused he changed his mind right at the last minute and tried to plead not guilty so the defense produced several witnesses from scotland including prince's own mother to testify the fact that he was insane and that was the reason he'd committed this murder Um, Prince, again, was completely reveling in all the attention. He would be shouting at the people. He was shouting out at the witnesses. He was laughing. He was just acting completely insane. Acting being the operative word. Ah. It could be said. So it didn't look good. After half an hour of deliberation, Prince was found guilty. But they did say, according to the medical evidence, that he was not responsible for his actions. So, Prince was sent to Broadmoor Hospital for the criminally insane, where he was thought to have enjoyed his life. He He's run his own uh, amateur dramatics company. Exactly, he <laughs> led the orchestra. He put on shows for people. Did he really? Yeah, he was oh. loving it there. He just like everyone lapped him up, so he could just go around Shit. being the star for once. So, William Terrace's ghost, however, is thought to have declined in activity in recent years. Um, many people are saying that it's possible that he's now passed over to the other side. Um, but you can always go and see for yourself. Often seen on the stairs in Covent Garden Tube Station, which are fucking long. I went there once when the when the lift was shut. I don't to walk. There's bloody loads of stairs. Um, but he's often there or at the stage door to the Adelphi. Go there.
3: Fabulous. Thank you. Happy Halloween, guys. <laughs> have a good Halloween. Um, uh, if you want to support us, you can um, get in touch with us at slaughterthepodcast at gmail.com. You can join our Patreon. Um, I think you guys have been... Uh, we put up a little Patreon post and I think what they want is some uh, Luciama stories. Oh, so, God. Uh, I know. <laughs> I, I reckon we could do five.
2: <laughs> we can definitely scrape five together.
3: <laughs> um, and you can uh, get in touch with us at Twitter, at Slaughter of the Pod, on Facebook, just type in S laughter, or you can just uh, leave us a review somewhere. That would be fabulous. Have a great uh, couple of weeks then, guys. Uh, we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs>